today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. It makes perfect sense to see the emptiness that flows through his life. He chased after something, and what he chased after ended up being empty. He sought after something that literally vanished, even even as he reached out to grab it. The temporary pleasures of this world left him empty and left him yearning for something more. He needed something, he wanted something, he desired something. But at this point in time, he had no idea what it was because he had left the truth long ago. It can be difficult to stay focused on our relationship with God sometimes. There are so many sinful and worldly pleasures around us. They may seem appealing and innocent, but if they take us further away from our walk with God, then indeed they are empty pleasures. Are you in the midst of chasing an empty pleasure? Has life begun to feel hollow? These temporary pleasures cannot fill you up, but God can. Today, Pastor David shows us what life might look like if we choose worldly pleasures over God's truth. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 20 as he continues his message, Gloom, Despair, and Agony. God, I believe, has placed us here to be able to enjoy what and where we can. But the problem is, he takes it, unfortunately, down from there rather than up from there. Look what he says in verse 19. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals. For all is vanity, all is empty. All go to one place. I know you want to make sure that your cat and your dog are there with you in heaven, but I don't think that's what he's speaking about here. All goes to one place. All are from the dust and all return to the dust. He doesn't really speak of eternity. He doesn't speak of, again, that, that, that continued power of the presence of our eternal life. He says, man, we we just go to dust. We return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward and the spirit of animal, which goes down to the earth. So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in what? His own works, not rejoice in God, our savior, but rejoice in his own works for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? I fully understand. We can't look into the heavens right now. But I believe that we have enough promises of God 
that we can understand that from here, as Paul says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The understanding that from this life, we pass on into that greater existence of eternity, this all being just temporary. But again, here, that's not what he's looking at. Who can bring him to see what will happen after him? Around the same era of uh, the country western uh, television show, Hee Haw, there, there was another actual country singer. And I remember all these country singers because honestly and truly, my parents played this stuff all the time. But there was another uh, country singer by the name of Peggy Lee. Anybody remember Peggy Lee? Yeah, okay, there's a couple of you. And uh, She made popular a song about that same time. The title of the song is That All There Is? After singing about several disappointments that she had in life, she would come to the chorus, and this one I'm not going to sing for you. The, the chorus was simply this. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Why, if that's all there is, my friends, then let's just keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. To me, the, the, those words sound very much like the words of Solomon here in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Emptiness, emptiness, everything is empty. That's the kind of mindset that, that writes that kind of a verse, that kind of words. And as you get to the last verse of that song, you can realize why the rest of that song states and, and declares what it does. Listen to the last verse of this song. Is that all there is? She says, I know what you must be saying to yourself. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh, no, not me. I'm in no hurry for that final disappointment because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that's all there is. Is that all there is? You know, that has such a fatalistic mindset, but it's the same mindset that we see the preacher, Solomon, writing here. And as I've shared with you, as we've gone through uh, Song of Solomon and Proverbs and now Ecclesiastes, I believe that Ecclesiastes was written in the sunset years of Solomon. I believe that, again, he let himself go in, in every aspect of the word. The, the multiple wives that he brought, brought him into idol worship and, and drew him so far away from God. He was chasing after every vain thing and nothing Nothing was satisfying because he left the one who would have brought fulfillment to his life. This is life. There's nothing more. There's no view of heaven. There's no concept of any kind of a relationship with Almighty God. Chapter four in Ecclesiastes, it really doesn't get any better at all. Look at chapter four, verse one. Then I returned, I considered all the oppression that's done under the sun. And look, the, the tears of the oppressed but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors, there's power, but they have no comforter. You see, he has dialed out completely God's presence in the life of those that are oppressed. 
He's dialed out completely that peace that passes all understanding. He's done away with in, in, in his writing and in his mind and understanding that, yeah, in this world we'll have tribulations. This, there's hard things that we go through in this world. But our God is greater than all of these things. He's laid that all aside. Look in verse two. Therefore I praised the dead who were already dead more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that's done under the sun. This is the concept, this is the sentiment really that he repeats several times throughout the book. It's just better to have never lived than to be alive today. That's a guy who has lost everything because he's walked away from the promises of God. He's walked away from the hope of Israel, the God of his father. And he's allowed the things of this world and the gods of this world to pull him, to lure him into this absolute emptiness. The whole balance of chapter five, it's just a variety of Proverbs. One of the best, I believe, one of the many jewels that we do actually find here in Ecclesiastes is found in verses nine through 12. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter four, beginning in verse nine. He writes there, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. Oh, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him. And again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Most folks, when they read that, realize that he's speaking about the relationship of a husband and wife. It's not that God is against singleness. Uh, I I believe that many are called to that single lifestyle. But he is simply here, he's writing the advantages of, again, two being together. And he speaks about that cord of three strands or that threefold cord. And most understand that to be the husband, the wife, and then God that's wrapped together in all of it. Both having a common relationship, a common commitment to God, a threefold cord not quickly broken. That helps us to understand that in our marriage relationship, and I won't go long on that, though we could, in in our marriage relationship with both husband and wife are desiring the things of God and are seeking the the face of God and, and the pleasure of God. Even though they may have conflict this way, they're gonna get things right quickly because they know that if they're conflicting in the horizontal way, they're not gonna be right in the vertical way with God. I cannot be at peace with God if I'm not at peace with my wife. If there is a conflict that way, it needs to be dealt with between husband and wife and how strong a husband and wife relationship is when both of them are seeking the Lord, both of them fully committed to the Lord. Okay, moving on. Uh, again, in chapter five and some of the following chapters, we're gonna find a whole variety of these proverbs, a lot of these uh, different statements that are made. Some seem to be correct. They seem to be really well-fitting in the balance of, of the rest of the scripture. It goes into the context of the balance of scripture, but some of them seem to deny or even uh, void out the promises of God, void out his faithfulness, void out God's desire to work in, in the hearts of men. Many of them even speak literally against 
the reality of eternity, the, the reality of, of, of our place and our part in all of eternity. Often these words, he, he'll bring it, man, we just simply go back to dust, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, that's it. Close the coffin, we're done, we're out of here, that's it. Look at chapter five, uh, there actually a couple more gems in chapter five, down in verse four. He says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. So do you get that relation? If you make a vow and you don't repay it, he says, then you're a fool. Uh, <laughs> you got to read kind of between the lines, but that's what he says. He says, pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Look down in verse 10. He says, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity, it's emptiness. Like the old saying goes, you know, in gathering money and riches, how much is enough? If that's where your heart is, if that's where your drive is, the question, how much is enough? The answer is always going to be just a little bit more, just a little bit more. I'm making X amount of dollars, but I hope next year I'm going to make this much. Then next year you make that much, and no, next year I want to make this much, and it's just never enough. There's always a reaching for more. Look down at verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Kind of a twofold thing. The, the laboring man, he, he's working his physical body, man. The, the rest comes good. The, the rich guy, he's, he's not physically working, but he's worrying all the time. He's worrying that somebody's going to take some of his money or how can I get more money? And so again, yeah, he's not permitted to sleep. Chapter six. Chapter six is just filled with emptiness, filled with despair. There's nothing is worth anything in life. As a matter of fact, verse 12 here in chapter six, it pretty much sums up the whole chapter. And actually for me, it pretty much sums up all of Ecclesiastes, really. Look at verse 12 of chapter six. For who knows what is good for man in life, all the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? It's just nothing. It's just absolute emptiness in the mindset. Of course, now we, we get to chapter seven. Again, we see a, bun, a bunch of these pearls of great price. Uh, but it, of course, in the midst of those pearls, they're, they're, they're surrounded by a lot of stinky and slimy oysters, okay? So you gotta take the oysters and the pearls at the same time. Verse one, a great example of a great pearl, but also surrounded by this stinky little oyster. Look at verse one of chapter seven. A good name is better than precious ointment. Stop right there. Good name is better than precious ointment. That's a good word. That's a positive word, man. Your good name, it's good to have a good name. But then he follows it up. And the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. Now, come on, really? <laughs> this, this is the guy who does not have a very good attitude about life. Can we agree on that? He's had all of his heart's desire, all, all, of, his, all of his flesh desires met. And yet his life is absolutely empty and it's meaningless. With the understanding that this is King Solomon, and again, as I shared earlier, with the attitude of all these multiples of wives, 
that caused him to be drawn away from the worship of Jehovah and to chase after these foreign gods, it makes perfect sense to see the emptiness that flows through his life. He chased after something, and what he chased after ended up being empty. He sought after something that literally vanished even even as he reached out to grab it. The temporary pleasures of this world left him empty and left him yearning for something more. He needed something, he wanted something, he desired something. But at this point in time, he had no idea what it was because he had left the truth long ago. Okay, I want you to be honest with me tonight. I want to see an honest raise of hands. How many of you have ever eaten cotton candy? (laughs) Okay, cotton candy, yeah. Nearly everybody in here eating cotton candy. It looks so good. It tastes really good, especially when you're a kid. But how quickly it melts in your mouth and how absolutely empty of any value it was. That's what I see Solomon. He's chasing after cotton candy. It looks appealing. It even, mm, it tastes appealing, but then it leaves him empty. Oh, there's still a few pearls, though, that are worth considering. Look, still in uh, chapter 7 in verse 7. He says, surely oppression destroys a wise man's reasoning and, and a bribe debases the heart. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Man, this is so true. He, he says you just need to work through the process. If you, if you think about what he's saying, he's saying work through the process. Don't, don't get impatient. Wait for, again, the fulfillment of a thing. Look, verse 9. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Absolutely. Verse 10, do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you don't inquire wisely concerning this. Hey, let's just admit it. Many times we say, man, I I long for the uh, old days. I long for for the past. And don't you realize, though, that Nearly every one of us have selective memory. We, 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 we remember those good things of the past, but we forget all about the hard things. No, I don't want to go back. I, I want to go forward. I want to see what the Lord has. Uh, I, I want to look for the ending. Uh, he says the ending is better than the beginning. He, he look at down in uh, verse uh, 13. He says, consider the work of God. For who can make straight what he has made crooked, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. Now, you need to understand, he actually kind of has the attitude of of Job when Job told his wife, shall we bless God when, when, when everything is good and curse God when everything is bad? No, it's the same God that, that brings. And he, he's speaking here about the sovereignty of God. He kind of comes up with a kind of a negative response to it, but he still understands, no, God has appointed one as well as the other. Verse 15, I've seen everything in my days of vanity. There is a just man who perishes in his righteousness. There is a wicked man who prolongs life in his wickedness. 
for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. Verse 21, also, do not take to heart everything people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. For many times also, remember, your own heart has known that even you have cursed others. Look at this one thing. I see it up in verse 15. I see a just man who, who perishes in his righteousness. I see a wicked man who has a long life in his wickedness. And, you know, the fact is, that's true. We, we see that. We don't always understand the wise. But what we do know, we don't know the wise of now, but we do know the end of all things. That again, the righteous will be rewarded the wicked will face judgment. And he doesn't bring any of that into here. He just says, hey, man, the wicked live as long as they want. The righteous are perishing. There's such an emptiness. One of the things that we see throughout Ecclesiastes is Solomon's understanding that, yeah, God is sovereign. God's gonna do what God wants to do. That's that type of an idea. And although we understand that, that, that ultimately, that is true. God, God is king over and sovereign over all of his universe. And he has a plan and a purpose and he's working that out. Although we understand that, it doesn't seem as though Solomon puts in the mercy and, and, and the grace of God that comes into play in every one of our lives all the time. It just seems like he goes right to the negative. One very interesting passage found in chapter eight and then it just leads right into uh, chapter nine. It, it actually begins in chapter 8, verse 10 here. I'm going to read it and hopefully um, not a whole lot of comment because there's a lot there. In chapter 8, beginning in verse 10, we read, Then I saw the wicked buried who had come and gone from the place of holiness, and they were forgotten in the city where they, where they had so done. This also is vanity. Let me stop right there. I told you I'm not going to comment much, but I have to comment on this. Here's one who has come and gone from the place of holiness, but actually they're wicked. Now, as he's speaking of someone, as we even spoke about, I think this last week, someone has an outside form of of righteousness. They're they're coming and going from that place of holiness, but in reality, they're they're wicked and they're, they're buried and then they're forgotten in the city where all of that was done. Verse 11, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You understand what he's saying there? God doesn't just whack us every time we get out of line. Sometimes I wish he would do that to you guys, not to me. You know, if he would just whack other people when they get out of line, it would would make my life so much easier. But that's not the way he works, is it? His extended long-suffering, his patience, and his mercy. What does the word of God say? It is your kindness that draws us to repentance, O Lord. It's not because he beat us into repentance. No, it's his kindness So the sinner thinks, man, I'm not going to get punished for this, so he keeps on doing evil. Verse 12, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him. So he's finally got a little bit of the justice and righteousness of God. But it will not be well with the wicked. 
nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray too for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying. And thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.